Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Really appreciate you deciding to spend some time with us here. If you want to keep up with all information related to the show, please do go and visit our website, educationonfire.com, where you can sign up to the newsletter, but more importantly, you can download some of the top 10 resources which we've put together based on some of the fantastic interviews and conversations we've had here on the show. Now, speaking of fantastic conversations, today I'm going to be chatting to David Wood. Now, David is a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies. He built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for live coaching and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. Now, as well as helping others, David is no stranger to overcoming challenges himself, having survived a full collapse of his paraglider and a fractured spine, witnessing the death of his sister aged seven and also struggling with anxiety and depression. But now he coaches high-performing business owners to double revenue and their time off by focusing on less and being 30% more courageous in their business or career. Now, he's been able to use some of these amazing skills and experience to actually support teachers and those of us in education to think along these lines of making big differences. And he's got a program called Tough Conversations where he can go in, talk to schools, talk to the people that you're working with to really help you set the environment and have those conversations that you need to affect real change in schools. Now, just before my conversation with David, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being here on the Education on Fire podcast today. Give us a little bit of uh, an idea of, of where you are in the world and, uh, and how life is for you at the moment. I am in Boulder, Colorado, originally an Aussie, but I, I just love the mountains, love the people. And so I, right now I'm blessed to be in a, what feels like a mountain retreat just outside the town of Boulder. I mean, certainly for me, I think the idea of the of the environment that you live in, I mean, I love being in the city. I've spent many years living in London, but the the being more in the countryside these days is something which I certainly, I think, thrive on as well. So I think we've got that kind of kindred spirit there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I the owners want to move back in now. So I, I've got to, I've got to find a new nest. So that's what's really alive for me now is like, you know, what's going to be the next home for, 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 for david wood um and and supplies titan boulder a lot, a lot of people like it and the prices are zooming up so i've even started looking further afield and seeing like where in the world might might i want to live next so it's it's a fun time right now and nerve a little nerve-wracking yeah yeah for sure and and i think it, it brings up a really interesting point in terms of the sorts of people and the environments that you surround yourself in make a big difference to your life don't they you know the sort of uh, the people you're connecting with both on a on a professional and a personal and even a, an educational learning it, they all have an impact in some way or another and i think this is going to be a great conversation in terms of using your your kind of business acumen and ideas in terms of where that entrepreneurship comes in but as we were just mentioning before we started recording how that's such an integral part of everyone's learning and growth experiences they're going through schools and, and adolescence as well so um why don't we start with that 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's a really good point. I have a high value on community and I'm pretty picky. Like as I've gone through life, I'm 52 now, I've gone and explored personal growth, personal development and, um, you know, finding my fears and, and going into my fears. And it's important to me that I'm around people who also do that because otherwise I got, you know, what am I going to relate around? So if I didn't care about community, I could, I could be anywhere really in the world, get a cheap house, work on front the internet and life would be easier for me. But because I really need like people who do yoga, even though I don't do a lot of yoga, I like people who do yoga. They, they're into authentic relating, they're into transparency, and they're really trying to be better people on the planet. I have to be around that. So that ties me to a very few places in the world. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you think that you would have more options. You'd think that, I guess it's it's that sort of thing that when you're involved in that environment, when you're involved with those types of people, you see it everywhere. They gravitate towards you. But when you sort of take that sort of global populace it is, a, is a mass, it still is a very sort of small percentage. Yeah. I went to Medellin in Colombia for six months because I was thinking, hey, maybe, maybe I want to live in South America. It's a great place digital nomads, uh, lots of expats. They've got the infrastructure. They've got the internet. It's cheap. Hey, man, I could be really happy there, except I never found my tribe. I didn't find uh, until the last week when I, I had a paragliding accident, broke my back, went to a chiropractor, and she was amazing. Guess what? Turns out she's from Boulder, Colorado. And, and I said to her, I didn't find my tribe until I found you. And she said, you know, I never really did either here. So, you know, I, I could be in maybe the San Francisco Bay Area as amazing. Boulder is amazing. I hear good things about Asheville, North Carolina. I hear good things about Estonia. It's, it's you know, for digital nomads. Um, Australia's got Byron Bay, but I've already done that. So... Yeah, I love this this conversation. It's like, where's your tribe? And for kids, I know this is a, a an educational podcast. They probably don't have too much of a choice growing up. You know, they're, they're there in that town. They're going to have to draw from that pool. Hopefully, they can choose wisely with their friends. But you kind of just end up with your friends, you know, or I did in school. It was later in life I realized, oh, wait a minute. I can choose what community I want to surround myself by. And then in business, as you pointed out, that also matters. I happen to know some amazing, successful entrepreneurs. That's helpful. If I hung around with a bunch of people who just constantly fail in business, you know, that's going to impact my business as well. So I think tribe and community matter hugely. And I think this day and age, we talk a lot, certainly from from a teacher's perspective, about the fact that even if you're in a school or a learning environment where you feel like you're restricted or you don't quite have the options that you want, with so many groups, so many options online now, you can find that tribe and, and actually get those ideas and start to pull those maybe into your own experience in your class or your school. Um, but I, what I really liked about what you said is the fact that when you're younger, you maybe don't necessarily have those options or even understand the idea of a tribe. But I think certainly for me, you know, you're in your school, that might be 
what your parents have set or it happens to be your local school but then i think just understanding that maybe just your ideas or your hobbies or whatever suddenly take you into a tribe that like my music's my passion as a professional musician you know as soon as i found those group of people who like to perform and, and was in the wind band and orchestra and that kind of stuff it's kind of like oh yeah you know we're kindred spirits in something which has nothing to do with maths and english and being at school yes we did music in school but not quite the same and, and the same thing i know applies for sports and, and all sorts of things so even when you feel like you've got sort of limited ways of finding your tribe i think there are those things out there and i think it's just even just opening that door like you said that's true and it's i guess you did do gravitate i think the the kids that became my friends in school were in my class um so and that worked out pretty well i'm still i'm still in touch with some of those key people so maybe the system does work <laughs> you know you, you know just naturally you kind of gravitate now i also did gravitate um i, I was in touch with some bad elements in school there was um you know i i smoked in school maybe the system's working you know you find you give your kids advice you say hey choose people who are, who are good people but maybe it's just happening all in the background i think it worked out pretty well for me i don't think there was anyone in my life there were there was one one kid who was very irresponsible and we ended up in the back of his car and the way he drove we could have all ended up dead so that was a mistake and uh, we are not friends now so yeah there are mistakes that oh wow now i'm flashing back to the mistakes i made as a kid and that you know uh, i'm not a parent but if i was a parent i'd really want to caution my kids so yeah you got me thinking now as i think about kids and what i want them to know i'd want them to know about mistakes like that i want to i'm a big fan i'm, I'm a because i was an actuary and i'm all about risk assessment i'm all about people making their own choices as long as they've mucked up the risks. If they're going to smoke, have them be really upfront and personal with what, what that's going to look like 20 years down the track. Yeah, and I think part of that is actually is the whole concept of thinking about it, isn't it? It's that kind of so much of when you're young, you just do what you do. And I think even having that understanding that let's think about it first, because like you said, you know, in that horrible scenario that you um, knock someone over or anything like that, what does that mean? It means that your life is going to be very drastically different after that in many different ways. So even understanding that I don't want to go down that route if I have any choice of the of, of that myself. So therefore, I'm going to think about how I plan my life out. You know, I'm not going to try and rush. Like I said, I'm not going to drink, drive. I'm not going to smoke, whatever it happens to be. I'm going to actually do that because I know that isn't where I want to be putting my effort and my time and my and my future to be. And I think I think just, just that concept, I'm going to think about what I do and why I do it. And then, like I say, once you've weighed all these things up, then, you know, your life is your life and you take it forward as you want to. But um, but just exactly. having that thought process, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I can look back at what I did. And sometimes I did not fully assess the risks. So, for example, I'm, I'm very trans. I'm very transparent because I'm hoping that some of the mistakes I've made can serve other people. Um, you know, I, I, I've had doctors prescribing different medications for me for, for years. And once when I moved countries, I didn't have a doctor set up yet. And I thought, hey, I could buy this online. So I went to a website and I ordered a medication from, from India. Well, I tell you what, now I've gone into prisons 
and I've been teaching inmates about authentic relating and how to um, and deeper connection. And I've seen the mistakes they've made, and I've and I've thought about what have I done that could have put me here. That's that that's probably a federal crime to go and order a medication without a doctor's prescription in the U.S. But I hadn't mocked it up. I've I've got a friend or an acquaintance who is very public about the fact that he overstated his income on his mortgage, uh, on his mortgage, on his loan for the bank. He overstated his income. Well, how many people do that? It's got to be a common thing. They found out about it, and someone wanted to make um, make a statement. There was a, some political thing, and they decided to go after him for it. The guy served time for overstating his income. So again, we just want to really mock it up. If you're going to get a motorcycle, you you want to be clear. They're super fun. I love them. I've been motorcycles, a paraglide, but you want to be clear, you may, there's a reasonable chance you could be a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, or you could die. Your chances are pretty good. Apparently, I think the chances of death from a motorcycle is, I looked up the statistics, something like 16 times higher than driving a car. Isn't that useful information to know? And paragliding, I think it was eight times higher than driving a car. And so I I've touched the sky 10,000 feet above the Himalayas, but when I really got clear on the risks, I went and looked at all the accident videos. I said, David, if you're willing to fly after watching all these accident videos and you've already had an accident and you've already nearly killed yourself at least once, okay, you can keep flying. Well, I watched the accident videos and I decided to sell my paraglider and I'll keep my feet on the ground. And I said, well, if I can't justify that, I can't justify a motorbike. So I let go of that and I've taken massive risks. So yeah, apparently I'm excited about this, this topic. <laughs> Just know what you're in for. And if you choose the consequences, I also teach tough conversations. If you're willing to risk the outcome of that conversation, then great, go and do it. If you're not, if you could lose your partner or your job or your freedom, okay, maybe you're not going to go and do it, but let's just know what we're walking into. Mm. And and just to just pick on that point about sort of the the risk taking and uh, like I say certainly paragliding th- things which like I say have got a high risk of injury or, or even death. Do you think you were after something specific? Like I say, you know, you sort of reach the sky, you know, that adrenaline rush. That's something that not everyone can do. Did the fact that you decided not to go for that, but then, like you said, you like surrounding yourself with people who are connected and yoga and those types of people, that actually you were striving for something which you didn't need to go and touch the sky for, or you didn't need that adrenaline rush, um, and actually you've been able to find what you wanted in a different way, or, or are they two separate things for you? Well, I think you're almost there. I think definitely I was seeking something. It was partly, I think flying's just amazing. Like, I think everyone should do it. Maybe not solo, but with an instructor who's done it for 20 years. I think everyone should experience it. We literally can fly like the birds. I, I've stepped off a mountain in Nepal and gone up and flown for two hours just riding the thermals. Oh my God, sometimes with birds circling with me. 
So there's part of it was just, I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time and I, I liked the adrenaline, but I think part of it, I was seeking something that I wasn't totally happy in life. And you said that I have now found in elsewhere. I'm not sure I have found it elsewhere. I've just decided I, I want to live and I'm still seeking. I'm still questioning. I know part of what I'm looking for does lie in connection when I get a limbic connection with another human being. And it's hard to get in our society, but I know people who are open enough that we could, we could um, just cuddle and watch a movie and it doesn't mean anything other than we're cuddling. I, you know, I have a cuddle buddy. Um, I could have people say, hey, let's lie down and we'll do this breathing practice that regulates our nervous systems and just really grounds us and produces lots of oxytocin in the brain. So I have access to a lot of that, but I'm still looking. I'm still questing. David's not a, not a done deal. I'm a work in progress at the age of 52. I play video games. Uh, now I don't do it all day, but maybe for a couple of hours a day. And I enjoy that. And I'm sure I'm getting a rush there. It's not the healthiest source of, of entertainment. Um, so yeah, I was questing for something and I think I, I'm still questing. I find it in moments. Maybe I'll pick up the guitar. This, this just happened four, four, maybe a week ago. I picked up the guitar. I said, well, let's just play for five minutes. I played a song and I saw my dog seem to be listening. And so I'm like, I'm going to play to Bella, my, my dog. And I walked over, played very gently. And just as, you know, she's half listening, half drifting off. And then I started making up the words and I sang a love song to my dog and it was in tears. Now that to me is living. That was a peak experience, but I don't have them all the time and I'm, I'm still looking. I think sometimes, like you say, it, the, the moments kind of give you the, the focus and the, the insight and the clarity in some ways. And I guess they are moments because you're not having them all the time. You, you might be able to get yourself into a position where they happen more often or whatever, but I think even, yes. even, even noticing them, I think is, you know, is a, I don't want to say a breakthrough, but it's, it, it's kind of a kind of a step into a world which some people don't even notice literally. Yeah. And I want to say to listeners, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I can relate to this, just take a look at what you might be using to medicate yourself. If, and I have no judgment on that because I do it myself. But um, if, if I believe if life is not very fulfilling naturally, then what we gravitate to is alcohol, um, sugar, uh, processed foods, television, video games. Uh, we might escape into, and I know about all these things because I use them myself, um, possibly drugs if we go even further. Uh, medication from a doctor, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication. And there was one more I wanted to mention. Oh, even, even reading. As a kid, I love, I love a really good book. It's so fulfilling. But if you're doing it a lot, if you're doing it instead of connecting with your family, instead of getting out in nature or exercising or something that feels fulfilling and is healthy, just know these are our addictions and these are a sign that the rest of our life is maybe not completely fulfilling. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just wanted to, to point that out. These are some clues to show you. And what I get from that, you know, when I look at the different things I use in life and um, 
is keep looking, keep questing, you know, maybe a good, good solid walk with my dog, you know, or 30 minutes on the rowing machine, or I call a friend or some of the prison work I've done has been incredibly rewarding. So we just keep looking. So the idea that my strategy is keep finding things that are naturally fulfilling so that we use less and less of the unhealthy, the less healthy uh, medications or, uh, you know, opiates that kind, that kind of um, escapes, addictions and escapes. We've all got them. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes you also have to be aware that you kind of need to be the person that makes that difference, not that kind of I'm no longer going to do X or Y, but that kind of, yeah, I'm feeling like this today and it's just one of those days. And sometimes you just have to make that effort. Like I say, I'm going to get on the rowing machine. I'm going to phone that person. I'm just going to change my state myself, even if it feels like a real wrench, you know, that you do have that control just to open a different door at that moment which then as a, a succession of moments kind of can make a big difference. And I, I think, I think understanding that you have a little bit more control than you think you do while at the same time, just knowing that, you know, every day is different and we're all exploring life and seeing where we're going and, you know, no right or wrong, like I say, just be aware of what's happening. I think a combination of those two things is actually a healthy way to, to be sort of progressing through life. And like we say, it's a journey, you know, we're sort of all learning, about ourselves and, and our surrounding as we as we go through. But I think, again, it's that awareness, it's that knowledge, it's that kind of understanding that there's something happening here and just being alive to that. Yeah. What, what I try and do with myself is I try and do a deal with myself and, you know, make it a little bit of a game. I parent myself. And a lot of parents do this with your kids. And if you're not doing it with your kids, you might want to steal this. Um, I'll make a deal like, okay, I want to play the video game. Um, I'll go and do a programming challenge first. There, you know, there are websites where you can, and this would be great for your kids, you know, get them into learning programming if they've got any lean towards that. But you can do a little challenge. It takes five minutes. And, and you, you're not allowed to see the solutions until you've submitted your work and it works. And if you can't solve it, there are resources where you can read it. Amazing game. So I'm like, before I do the computer, I'll do three challenges. And then, um, sorry, before I do the games and then, okay, do I want to do it now? Can I get myself to do something else? I'll go and call a friend while I'm using the rowing machine and, 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 and chat with at least one person. And then I'll be like, all right, can I get myself to do something else before I get, I still want to play the video game. Um, all right, I'll take, I'll take my, my dog needs to pee. I'll take her for a walk. We'll get out 20 minutes, come back. And then after that, hey, maybe I've used up so much time. Um, it's getting a bit late in the evening and it's time to just watch a nice TV show, like Happy Days, man. I'm, I'm watching reruns of Happy Days again. It's always a you know, guaranteed feel good. It might be time. And then I, I've skipped the video game or no, I still want to do it. You know, I still want to do it. Okay, I want to play the video game and drink a beer. Well, how about you play the video game first and see what that's like without the beer. And then after you've played one or two games, if you still want the beer, you can do that. So I, you know, I know parents, you know, wise parents do this with their kids. Like, well, if you do this, this, and this first, yeah, go for your lot, knock yourself out. You can have an hour of playing that, playing that game. Um, but we can do it with ourselves as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that just struck me there was that kind of surrounding your environment in a way that makes you think about having to do that. I mean, you were talking there about, you know, almost rewarding yourself having done this, this, this and this, and then you can do something. But I know from my experience, sometimes it's that kind of, I don't know, let's let's take, um, you said about um, processed food or sugar or something like that. If you don't have certain things in the house, you might still want to eat it. But it involves a you know a walk to the shop or a drive to somewhere to get it, and then it's that kind of ah, oh, do I really want it that badly? No, maybe I don't. Or yes, I do, and I'm going to make that effort. But just having things that one step out of reach, as it were, that makes you think it's not an immediate reaction. I have to do something else to do that. And I guess those two things are so similar because, like I say, as a parent, you can actually put some of those things in place. Yeah, sure, you can play your video game, but we're going to do this first. And and I think that, that, that yeah. sort of similarity works great. I think that's very wise, Mark. Um, yeah, you know, you, with the PlayStation, you can put parental controls on these things. And so you don't even have to police it. The kid's allowed to play between these hours. And then after an hour or two hours, whatever, it it cuts off. You can't do it, right? So I think that that's similar to what you're talking about. With ice cream, I I have a deal with myself uh, for, for, for a year. My deal was I don't have ice cream in the house. And I don't buy cookies. I don't buy cake. I don't buy that stuff. Now, after I did like a year and a half of that healthy eating and a green smoothie every morning and, you know, I have a system. Now I have a new deal. I can buy one pint of ice cream a week and I can buy one big packet of salt and vinegar chips a week. I love that stuff. But if it's in the house, I'll eat it. So if you want your kids to eat healthier food, here's some unsolicited advice. Firstly, start eating healthier yourself. Just, just, and and the best way to do that, don't have it in the house. Now the kids will scream for a bit, right? They'll kick and scream, and they're not going to like it. So you might have to do a deal, bribe them with something else. The first, the first week or two, maybe the first thirty days will be the hardest. But after that, it's not hard anymore. It's just not in the house. You don't have cookies. And, and what you can do, I've found this myself because I've been doing this the last two years, you can replace those sugar cravings for um, a lot of the, the rubbish that we eat. And a lot of the food that you buy in the supermarket is packed full of sugar anyway. So you are doped up on sugar uh, unless you've made a conscious effort not to be. But you can stop buying cookies, stop buying um, ice cream, and you can replace it with fruit. Again, they'll kick and scream for a while, but after a while... Fruit is amazing. Are you going to grab an apple, go and grab an orange? I, I'm getting a sugar hit, but it's the healthy kind of sugar. That's a replacement. And if you want a replacement for ice cream, you can get a really good blender, throw in some frozen bananas and anything you want. Some walnuts, some coconut, shredded coconut, a uh, uh, couple of dates if you want that sugar hit, and um, maybe some frozen strawberries. Wow. It's like, it's, it's a smoothie. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty easy replacement for ice cream. So these are some things you can do. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm on a bit of a health kick cause I, I try to serve my body and I know if I go like I just ordered chicken wings last night and had them delivered, that was a special treat. But this morning I'm thinking, yeah, I don't feel that good about that choice. Whereas if I'd eat, had some stir fried vegetables and some, some meat and whatever, and didn't add sugar to it, I'd be feeling good about myself. 
And I think it's I think it's important then because I think that's a, that is the next stage, isn't it? When you've had that kind of yeah, I felt I felt like a treat, but then was it really? You know, it, it my, my mind tells me it was because it's something I wanted, and that maybe that immediate kind of oh yeah, but then the payoff to that. And I just wanted to bring that in because I know, you know, a lot of your work, you've got things like celebrating your your wins and you've got routines and and sort of all those sorts of things. And I can see how you sort of bring that into your own life as well as kind of the business aspect and, and that kind of thing as well. And I guess it's making, like I say, those smart choices about those types of things, whether you're doing it in terms of a learning experience or a life experience or well it's basically your experience isn't it and i think that's where education becomes exciting when it's kind of education is a tool to make you who you are and that's it rather than just having to do a day-to-day kind of thing where um oh i have to go to school and that's it you know it's actually a gift there it's something that you can do well i i noticed as you as you were saying that i don't know why but my mind went somewhere else i just started imagining myself in a home with kids and thinking about like i know some of your questions at the end are about what's the best advice you got and and like that and what came up for me was acknowledgement and i think acknowledgement it was not a part of my life it wasn't a part of my family life my parents probably weren't acknowledged a lot as it can by acknowledgement i mean hey what a great job you did on that. Or, you know, I notice I'm feeling just a lot of gratitude that you're in my life. I notice I'm feeling pride right now, just just seeing, seeing the decision you made and how you got there. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of acknowledgement. Like, like my mom telling my dad, I'm just so glad that I'm married to you. It doesn't, it happened. So acknowledgement and gratitude. I don't know. I don't know why it came up as you were saying that, but if I could offer something to, to parents and to uh, teachers, and I'm sure um, a lot of teachers and principals are already clear on that. And I, and I assume it's a part of training now. I don't know that it was when I was a kid, um, but I don't think there could be too much of acknowledgement and appreciation Hey, I'm so glad that you're around. I'm so glad to have you on the team as a teacher. That thing you did in assembly, that was genius. You know, and calling it out in front of everybody, that was genius. I didn't feel like I had a lot of that growing up and so and I was starved for it. And I think if there was one thing I could offer to educators and parents, again, who may already be doing it, I don't think there's such a thing as too much could be a daily practice. This is what I'm grateful for, for you, my child. This is what I'm grateful for, for you, my student, for you, my fellow teacher. Um, It's changed my life. Being around teachers who've taught me and modeled for me, not at school, this didn't happen at school, but later in life, who've modeled for me what full acknowledgement looks like. Calling out someone in front of a group and just going deep into not even what they've done, but who they are and how they're showing up. That's a gift to the world. And I, I, I'm committed to more of it, uh, giving more of it in my life. And, um, I'd like to transmit it. I think the world could use a little more of it. Yeah. I, I really like that. And you can, you can just tell, can't you, that it just, it connects on a way like no other. And like you said, 
interestingly that you knew that you had it as a lack rather than something which you realized from when you were getting it coming to you you know that kind of oh yeah this feels really good but i think sometimes it's the it's the lack of these things which you then sort of pick up afterwards as you start to go through so i think that acknowledgement and all of those things which you can you can pinpoint in a certain way because i think sometimes we get stuck in a rut of kind of you know I must be grateful for this. So I'm going to write down so many things that I'm doing and I must do this and I must do that because this is all going to make my life better, which is true because there is practice in the, and there's putting these things in place, which does make a big difference. But there's nothing like that. I love what you said about sort of going deep, just that kind of, this is how I'm feeling now. And I know that actually by transmitting this and talking about it and putting it out and chatting to someone in a group about this, not because I had to or because it was part of my list of something I wanted to do today, but I can feel this is the time and this is the person that needs to get it right now. And I think that kind of authenticity is, is amazing. Well, that would be ideal if it just was spontaneous and that's what it came up. But I'm a huge fan of fake it till you make it. And I'm a huge fan of structures. So if you need to put it in your phone, set an alarm, four o'clock each day, go and tell my kids something I appreciate about them do it. Use it. We, we are creatures of habit. I often relate human training to dog training. Um, I try and train myself like I train my dog. I give myself a reward for something good I did. And maybe there's a consequence something if I do something bad. So it's not natural for most of us. If you're Byron Katie, one of the teachers I, I follow, okay, she's just pure love. And she's like, how wonderful to see you, sweetheart. She's just pure love. Okay. But most of us aren't Byron Katie. So I say fall back on any structure. If you've got a business, if you're a principal, you're running a school, build it into your meetings. Build it into your meetings that you are acknowledging people and calling them out. Build it into your meetings that they are acknowledging each other and calling each other out before we get to what needs to be corrected build it into your daily practices with your family, with your partner. Um, and then ultimately maybe it will become more natural. It, it is a little more uh, naturally. I don't want to make some grammar mistakes, you know, on a, on a podcast for teachers. Um, my mother would be right on top of that. Eventually I think it will be more natural that you'll be like, Oh, your brain will go, that was really good that they did that. Oh, I didn't tell them. And then the next part you've got to get to, you know what? I'm going to reach out. I'm going to tell them. I, you know, thinking about this podcast as I was, as I was prepping for it, I don't normally prep in my head, but I was thinking about a teacher at school who was so grounded and in his dignity and didn't get thrown by all the crap that we threw at him. We, we gave him a hard time. Um, Mr. Fiveash, Philip Fiveash, Cessnock High School. I'm going to call him out publicly. He had every right to give us a hard time back and to give snide comments and to try and bring us down. And he never did. Other teachers did. And fair enough. He never did. He always treated us with respect. And 20 years after school, I tracked down his phone number and I called him at his home and I said, this might surprise you, but this is David Wood. I don't know if you remember me. He said, are you kidding? 
<laughs> and I said, I really want to acknowledge you. You had every right to try and bring us down and to push back and give us a hard time. You never once did it. You treated, I've got goosebumps right now. You treated us with respect and that made a huge difference in my life. You modeled for me how to be grounded in the face of someone who's giving me a hard time. And I want to thank you for that. And anyone listening, if you, if there's a teacher that made a difference for you and you feel like tracking them down and writing them a letter or giving, you know, sending them, uh, or calling them, I say, I say, do it. What a wonderful thing to do in the world. It really is. And, and I think the one thing that comes across time and time again, when people talk in, in this way, it's about the teacher that made them feel something, or it was the teacher that, exactly as you just explained, it wasn't the kind of the teacher that taught me this particular way of doing math or English or whatever. It could be any subject, but that teacher respected me, had sympathy, empathy, made me something, made me feel something and connected in a way. Appreciated me. That was, I know one of your questions at the end is, you know, who's your favorite teacher and why? I remember what stands out of the teachers that made me feel that I was something. They said, you are one of my best students. They said, you know, when you go to high school, it would have to be an exceptional top class to keep you out of it. It was, it was those te the teachers who liked me. They honestly like, you know, I was precocious. So I was throwing paper in school because I could do, do my homework in five minutes and I ended up coming top of the school. I didn't have to really work at it. So I was just painful. And the teachers that were able to be with that and still treat me with respect and even the one and could go that extra step that they liked me and appreciated my, my brain. Those are the ones that um, I think I felt safe with and made a made a difference because I, I'm, I'm just starting to get a little misty right now thinking about it. I was starved for that in my life. For, I was starved for approval. And I think one of the reasons I showed off so much and I tried to be so good at everything is I just wanted approval. I wanted people to like me and acknowledge me in approval. And it just, I, look, it was an Australian country town. And this was back in the uh, what was it? Seventies and eighties. So there just wasn't a lot of it. I, I imagine it's changed a lot now and that, and the teachers, the teachers I've spoken to, they really want the kids to feel loved. Um, and I'm grateful for that. If you are a teacher that, that that's your mission. Thank you. It, it, it really makes a difference. And I'm, I'm feeling emotional now just thinking about it. It really does. I think that's a really, it's a great thing to be able to, to share. And, you know, thank you is the biggest thing we can give anybody. It's just the kind of a heartfelt thank you for what you're doing, whatever that happens to be. And I think that's, again, that, that's a great connection and a great acknowledgement of everything that's that's going on in your particular world at that time. I love yeah. That. Well, thank you. Thank you is the tip of the iceberg. So I, I think that's the starting point. Let's start with thank you. That's the, we'll call it the doorway. And what I'm talking about and what I've been trained in, thankfully, is going deeper than that. Like, what's your experience? How did that impact you? You know, when you did X, I felt Y. 
and this is the difference it's made for me. That's one, that's a great formula for acknowledgement. Here's another one. When you did X, I felt Y. And what I think I get about you is blank, right? We can go deeper and share the impact and, and, um, cause thank you is a doorway. Let's start there. Let's start with thank you and see if we can go even further. Here's why I'm saying thank you. And here's why I'm grateful. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So just as we wrap up, is there a, a podcast, a book, a video film song or, or any resource that's had a, a big impact on your life? And, and why was that? I think I've had many teachers in my life. And one of the teachers that's been the greatest influence is Byron Katie. And I grew up thinking, and I think most humans still have this point of view, that my external environment is what's going to give me happiness. So if I have a certain amount of money and a house and a partner uh, that checks all the boxes, then I'll be happy. And if I don't have that, if something bad happens, say I lose the house, I lose a leg, I lose, I lost my sister when I was seven years old. If these things happen, then I'll be unhappy. I don't believe that anymore. I've realized that super rich, famous people that seem to have everything that I want can be so unhappy they commit suicide. And I've met a man who's in a wheelchair, burns to 80% of his body, who became the mayor of a town, saved a mountain, and um, became a professional speaker, changing lives around the world, living in gratitude. So I'm like, wait a minute, what I believed apparently is, is wrong. And Byron Katie teaches that the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. And I now believe that. I believe what's causing me pain and suffering is not what's happening. I had a panic attack two days ago. My landlord, the owner of the house, moved in downstairs. And I knew that was happening. I'd be nervous about it. And he opened the door that separated his apartment from mine and came in and started using the storage room. And I said, firstly, welcome. I'm proud of myself for that. Secondly, would you be willing to make an appointment with me and give me 24 hours notice if you want to come in and use my space? As it says in the lease, I didn't say it that well, but I said, and he said, no, uh, I need to use the room. I'm just going to use it. And I said, this is a violation of my, my rights. And he said, I'm not asking you. I'm just telling you this is how it's going to be. I had a panic attack. You know, I'm like nervous. I've had anxiety for years and I'm like freaking out. But I do not believe it's him coming into the space that's caused that. It's what I'm believing about it. I honestly believe that. So the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. And I went and did the work for maybe three hours worth of work on everything I was believing that was causing the suffering. This is my space. Is that true? He should give me a notice. Is that true? He should make an appointment. Well, I did the Byron Katie work. It's a very simple practice. Takes about 15 minutes. It's called the work. You can find it at the work.com. I did the work on it and I realized life doesn't make an appointment. 
I got so many insights out of it. Now, it didn't fully ease my nervous system, so I still um, had a tough conversation with him. I, uh, I actually called the police. I'm like, what can I do to set my boundaries here and show him I'm serious? Um, now things are, are amazing. I feel now I have an ally downstairs, but it took a lot of work and I changed that. But I don't believe that we have to be victims of what happens to us no matter how bad it seems, our thinking is the only thing that can hurt us. That's the best advice I ever got. So David, thank you so much for spending time with us and, and sharing all that wisdom. Tell us more about where we can find out more and, and anything that you can help people with. Well, thank you. You know, what I normally do is I help business owners to, to double their business, but, but another um, side passion of mine is tough conversations and um, really open communication. And we've, we've, we had a school recently hire us to, to come do a workshop and we can do it by Zoom. So it can be anywhere in the world. We do a workshop with your teachers to train them in how to handle difficult conversations with each other and to be transparent uh, with their students, with the parents. So uh, if you're interested in that, go to focus.ceo. That's my website, focus.ceo, and you can check the navigation, the menu. You'll find tough conversations, and you can see more about the work. I just I want to help the kids, and I figure if I can help the educators to be more transparent, speak more of their truth, um, that's going to flow through to, to the kids. So focus.ceo is where you can find out more about that and the training program that, that we do for uh for companies and for schools perfect that's absolutely fantastic and thank you so much for sharing that and yeah keep up the great work thanks mark thank you to the national association for primary education for their long-term support of the education on fire podcast to get a free e-copy of their professional journal primary first please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal that's nape.org.uk forward slash journal Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.